Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I want to start by asking you to do something a little bit unusual. The vast majority of people watching this, statistically speaking, are men and women who have felt at one with the gender which is recorded on your birth certificates. The word for this, incidentally, is cis rather than trans. It's the equivalent of straight in relation to being lesbian, gay or bisexual. Now, the sense of being a man or a woman for the vast majority of us is so integral to our sense of self, to who we are, it's our internal monologue. It's how we see ourselves. And the vast majority of the time, we don't even think about it. It's so obvious and such a basic fact of our lives. Now, for a trans person, that sense of self is just as strong. A trans man's sense of being a man, that sense of self, that sense of identity, that internal monologue, if you like, is just as strong as it is for a cis man. A trans woman's sense of being a woman, again, the sense of who they are, how they perceive themselves, is just as strong as it is for a cis woman. Now, whatever you think about trans issues, maybe you're confused, maybe you've heard a lot and you don't know what to make of it all, please start from that basis. They're not pretending, they're not adopting a gender identity at a whim, it is existential and life-defining. And if they're not accepted for who they are, life is unbearable, just as it's so unbearable for, say, gay people who, for many centuries, lived as straight people because of how society would treat them for being gay. If you can at least understand that, then you can start from a place of humanity. Because the one thing that is missing from this so-called debate, this travesty of a debate, it's humanity. Now, I'm not trans, I am cis. Like the vast majority of you, statistically speaking, watching this. But as a gay person, this is an experience I can at least relate to. And because more people have got used to people being gay in relatively recent memory, gay and bi for that matter, although bi people actually have a long way even further to go than gay people, but than being trans, I want to offer this as an example. Now, some of you might go, it's got nothing to do with being trans. Different issue, different topic. That's not true. There are differences, which I'll come on to. But I have an identity which is different from the overwhelming majority of people in this country, which compels me to come out in the same way trans people do. And the reason LGB and T are together, integral, inseparable, is because the root of homophobia and transphobia is the same. You are deemed to be defying the rules of how you are supposed to behave based on the gender recorded on your birth certificate. So please hear me out. I don't know why I'm gay. No idea. Neither does science, for that matter. Lots of competing theories. None of them really matter. It's just a fact of life that some people are gay, some people are bi, just as some people are trans. It doesn't matter how many people object to these unalterable facts. 
There is literally nothing you can do about it. You either accept our existence or you don't, but we're never going to disappear. Your choices are either you make your peace with the existence of lesbians, gays, bisexuals, or trans people, or you make the lives of a minority you will never be able to make vanish hell. Now, when I realised I was gay, I hated it. Didn't want to be gay. Do you know why? Life's a tough gig. Why have the extra stress and hardship? I didn't want to be different, in inverted quotes. Just wanted to be like all my other peers. A whole roadmap of life offered to the vast majority of people. You find someone, you settle down, you get married, you have kids, were snatched away with nothing in its place. This was the 1990s. There were vanishingly few role models. Lots of negative stereotypes. In the playground, gay was the ultimate term of abuse used every day, every hour practically, with abandon. It became literally a synonym for rubbish, for crap, that's so gay, etc, etc. Section 28 was in place, introduced by Margaret Thatcher, banning the so-called promotion of homosexual lifestyles in schools, which meant it was never spoken about at all, ever, by any teacher, except one who made the point that anal sex was unnatural and harmful. There were anti-gay laws in place, different age of consent, no right for civil partnership, let alone marriage, no right to adoption, the right to discriminate. Now, I used to cling on, I remember as a teenager, to this passage in one of these growing up books, you know, where do we come from, sex, all that kind of things, which made the point that lots of people go through a phase of same-sex attraction, but it's just a phase in the grout of it. I clung on to that like a life raft. I was so desperate. So desperate not to be gay. I thought if I was gay, my life would be over, everyone would reject me, and I would die alone. That's how I felt. The spectre of AIDS still loomed. It was the 1990s, people were still dying of AIDS. People are still dying of AIDS today. But in Western countries, it was still, when I was a teenager, an illness which could kill. And tens of th huge numbers of gay and bisexual people across the Western world had indeed died. Now, I came out, eventually, took me a long time, had a lot of internalised homophobia to deal with, but lots of people never did. They lived, they tried living as straight people and still do, inflicting misery on themselves and other people. Now, what I just said is far more true for trans people. It is so much harder, so much harder to be trans than it is to be gay. So much more of a leap. And for both gay and trans people and bi people, all LGBTQ people, life is not inherently harder because you're LGBTQ. It's harder because of how society treats you. Now, as an LGBTQ person, one of the fundamental parts of being in LGBTQ circles is having people around you who you love, who were damaged by their parents. Their parents didn't accept them for who they were. They didn't affirm them. Some of them did it, of course, from a position of love, as they would put it. And what those parents did to those people was damage them for the rest of their lives. Friends of mine, 30s, 40s, suffering from acute mental distress, problematic relationships with drugs, with alcohol, all of which was because their parents just couldn't affirm and accept them for who they were, breaking the most basic law of parenting, unconditional love. That damage 
to LGBTQ people is happening right now across Britain, across the world. Lots of parents loving and accepting their children for who they are, but all too many parents who don't. And they impose so much hurt and distress. It's like a ticking time bomb they're inserting in their own children. Might not go off just like that, but in years, maybe even decades, it will. And part of being an LGBTQ person is that you pick up the pieces in your friendship group of LGBTQ people who've been so damaged and hurt by what their parents did. Sometimes I don't actually think I can cope with the amount of anger that I feel towards those parents for what they did and what they continue to do to LGBTQ people across the country. Now, in the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s, there was a massive moral panic against gay and bisexual people. We were portrayed as sexual predators, child predators, defiers of the laws of biology. God made Adam and Eve, he didn't make Adam and Steve. A mental illness. The World Health Organization did not take homosexuality off their list of mental illnesses until 1991, that we were a fetish, that we were forcing a majority to adapt to the whims of a tiny minority. All of these songs, every single one, are being sung about trans people today. And if you do not see that, if you cannot see the exact arguments being used, when I've just listed them, and you know that all of those arguments are being deployed against trans people, then you are either completely blind to the world around you, or you are terminally full of bad faith and frankly beyond reason. And I don't say that lightly. People might go, well, that's no way to win an argument. That's no way to convince people. You must be able to see those echoes. History doesn't often repeat itself, as the phrase goes, but it often rhymes. Now, I think a lot of people think to themselves that back in the day, they'd have been on the right side when it came to gay rights. It seems so obvious now. How could anyone object to people being gay and bisexual? A lot of you think. But in very recent memory, the vast majority of people completely objected or, or, or overwhelmingly or largely rejected people being gay. In 1983, 50% of the population, according to the British Social Attitude Survey, thought same-sex relations were always wrong. 12% said mostly wrong and just 17% said not wrong at all. You think those statistics are bad? They got worse. They got worse. 1987... 64% of people thought same-sex relations were always wrong, 11% mostly wrong, and just 11% not wrong at all. 11%, that was it. Those were the allies in 1987, when I was three. 11% of the population. Now, it went from 62% in 1983, saying always or mostly wrong, to, to 75% four years later. It didn't go back to what were already woeful levels in 1983 until 1993. Now, I will rail against New Labour, and I have done, for a very long time. And, and, I, I, and I could go through a list of things I object about what that Labour government did. But when they repealed the anti-gay laws, it was leadership and courage that they showed. Because they did it in defiance of public opinion. And here's the thing about a democracy, because a lot of people just construe democracy, for example, as majority decisions. But that would suggest that the rights of a minority should always be decided by what the majority think. Now, 
In 2000, that was the year I left, I left high school. So when I went to sixth form. And I think a lot of people think, well, by then society was all modern and progressive and all the rest of it and gay rights had been won or whatever. Absolutely not. Not at all. One opinion poll in 2000 found 54% of people opposed repealing Section 28. A majority of the population, just 39% supported repealing it. In that same year, 66% opposed equalising the age of consent for same-sex relations to 16 from 18. Just 27% supported equalising the age of consent. In 2000, that same year, 55% thought gay couples shouldn't be allowed to adopt children. 33% agreed. Now, the argument at the time was it was a conflict of rights. The rights of children were being trampled on by the gay lobby. That children would be preyed upon by predatory gay men and that children would grow up damaged. Now, let this be said and let this be said very, very clearly. The people who argued that believed what they were saying. They weren't faking it. They honestly thought that gay people and gay rights presented a threat to children. But let it be said that their sincerity was no excuse. Everything they said was false, nonsense, gibberish. And I bet the vast majority of you watching or listening to this would agree with that. They weren't vindicated. They thought they would be, but they weren't. Now, the only thing they achieved, the only thing they achieved, was to make the lives of a perceived minority harder, more difficult, more stressful and more frightening. That was it. And you know that, don't you? You all know that. That's as clear as day for most of you. They didn't rescue children. They damaged children. Children grew up full of internalised shame. They were scarred, hurt, frightened, more susceptible to mental illness and self-medication as a consequence, by which I mean problematic relationships to alcohol and other drugs. Now, as I've said, history rarely repeats itself, but it often rhymes. That isn't to say, by the way, that there aren't gay sexual predators. There are. That there aren't gay and bi people who've preyed on children. There absolutely are. But the vast majority of you watching or listening to this know that the nature of prejudice is to seek out the extreme and the hypothetical and use it to, to tar an entire minority in order to lay the foundations for discrimination. Now, you don't look at examples of gay people or bi people who've, or lesbians who've preyed, so gay men, gay women, bi women, bi men, who've preyed on children or have sexually assaulted people and extrapolate and think that therefore this is how we should approach that minority. Of course you don't. You know that's a bigoted thing to do. You know, you know it's an obscene thing to do. But that is what trans people are subjected to in modern Britain. It is exactly the same. There is no difference. None. Zero. Zilch. Now, in December, last December, the Gender Recognition Reform Bill passed the Scottish Parliament by a margin of 86 to 39. What it sought to do was so simple, so basic. It was just bureaucracy. Under the old system, to get a gender recognition certificate, you need two doctors to certify you as trans, a psychiatric diagnosis, and live in your gender for two years. It's medicalised, bureaucratic and humiliating. It's completely out of sync with the reality, as we know it, of being trans. That it is not a psychiatric disorder. That the World Health Organization stripped being trans from its list of mental illnesses in 2019. It shortens the period of living in your, your acquired gender from two years to three months. It reduces that age from 18 to 16. 16 is the age you can vote in Scotland. You can work, you can pay taxes, and you can fight for your country. A lot of people, I don't, again, this is all based, 
all, all of this backlash on myths and people just not understanding it. People think that means at the age of 16 you get gender-affirming surgery under the new rules. No, it doesn't. Not at all. It has nothing to do with that. You can't get gender-affirming surgery in the UK until you're 18. And even that is a complete abstraction. No, People aren't getting gender-affirming surgery when they're 18 either, because you, overwhelmingly, because you're stuck on waiting lists for years in practice until you can get gender-affirming surgery. The, the, the problem in Britain isn't that it's too quick to get gender-affirming surgery, it's that it takes too long. People's first appointment can be years away, and that's just to be assessed. Now, it has no impact, this law, on access to women's spaces. That's already covered by the Equalities Act. When's the last time any of you had to present your birth certificate before you entered a toilet or a changing room? Trans women already use women's toilets and women's changing rooms. Trans men already use men's toilets and men's changing rooms. It's covered by existing laws. And furthermore, trans people already can have a passport and a driving license specifying their acquired gender without a, without a gender recognition certificate. What this law does is allow a trans person to marry or be buried in their correct gender. It's a basic dignity. Now, in Scotland, this legislation hasn't been rushed through. Quite the opposite. The legislation's been, <coughs> been consulted on for six years. It's been a manifesto commitment for it to go through the 2021 Scottish parliamentary elections, because this is the parliament that has voted this through. It was a manifesto commitment to reform the Gender Recognition Act by the Scottish National Party, the Scottish Labour Party, the Scottish Lib Dems, the Scottish Greens. That is the vast majority of MSPs, members of the Scottish Parliament, stood on that manifesto. That is how parliamentary democracy works. It has been more debated consulted on and scrutinised than any other piece of legislation in the history of Scottish devolution. Now, as Kezia Dugdale points out, before Scotland, there were 13 countries using self-identification with a combined population of 350 million people. This has been in practice for years in many countries like Argentina or Ireland back in 2015. Now, if this legislation had been used or has been used to enable predatory men to assault women, then where are all the examples, given how many countries have already passed this law? Can you, there's not even one example being presented based on people having a gender recognition certificate. How, how is it justifiable to have such an inflammatory debate, because trans people are only debated essentially in this country in the context of A, would be sexual assault, or B, brainwashing and preying on children, if there isn't a, a data set to go on, well, we do have a data set, that a data set doesn't show that these fears are actually being realised in the countries with this law already. How is that justifiable to inflict that much pain without being able to present all these examples from those countries, like Ireland to Argentina? Now, this legislation was forced through by the courageous leadership, I should say, of Nicola Sturgeon, a woman, and a large majority of women MSPs. The British government has used Section 35, just to say he used Section 28 before, but Section under the Scotland Act, to override the democratic will of the Scottish Parliament. It is Rishi Sunak, a man, by the way, leading a Conservative Party, whose MPs are mostly men, with an anti-woman government, which has systematically assaulted the rights of women. One study found that 86% of cuts introduced by the Tories had fallen on women. A government which has overseen, for example, Austerity, which has slashed funding and support for women's refuges, which has overseen, for example, the Metropolitan Police, its misogyny with multiple police officers 
committing rape and sexual assault and abusing their partners. Now, just as the Tories used gay and bisexual people as a culture war in the 1980s, the same goes today. The Tories' historic role, in large part, has been to torment minorities for political gain. They've done that throughout history. Migrants, refugees, Muslims, and today, of course, trans people. Now, there is the claim, the claim being used is this is a threat to the Equalities Act. Listen to Caroline Noakes, a Tory MP and the chair of the Westminster House of Commons Women and Equalities Committee. Based protection, which is there in the Equalities Act, and we shouldn't uh, somehow pretend that this act in Scotland is going to in any way change that. It doesn't change the Equalities Act. It's a nonsense, as Caroline Noakes puts it. This is a Tory assault on LGBTQ rights and democracy. And what is again missing from this so-called debate, such as it is, is the lived reality of trans people. That hate crimes against trans people in one year went up by 56%. That trans people are scared to use public toilets, harassed at work and in schools and in the streets. Again, things like this focus you get again on, on, on unrepresentative examples like detransition. People who detransition are completely valid as an experience, just as people who regret having an abortion are also valid. But the vast majority of people who, de who, who transition do not tran detransition, just as the vast majority of people who have abortions don't end up regretting their abortion. And you don't have base abortion policy on the basis of those small minority who are valid regretting their abortion. And the same goes with trans people. And it has to be said, the experience of some of those who detransition isn't to do with not accepting or not being or, or rejecting the idea that they have a different gender identity. It's because of transphobia in society making their life so hard. Again, this idea this is a warm women. Every poll shows that women support trans rights more than men. Transphobia is more of a men's problem than a women's problem. And women who support trans rights are monstered. Nicola Sturgeon being one. Mary Black, the lesbian SNP politician, for example. People who've spoken out like Angela Rayner for Labour or Dawn Butler. Or, for example, Ash Sarkar. Or, for example, the late Dawn Foster. Or, for example, Natasha Devon at LBC. All of these are women who are constantly attacked monstered, called handmaidens by people who clearly haven't understood what the handmaid's tale is about. I just want to end by saying this to trans people firstly. I know things are hard now, beyond hard. And in the 1980s, as I pointed out, for gay and, and bi people, things got worse before they got better. But public attitudes did shift dramatically and public attitudes towards trans people are not nearly as hostile, not nearly as hostile as they were to gay and bi people in the 1980s. Those anti-gay laws did get overturned. You are going to win. And we can see already, whether it be in Scotland or elsewhere, that these laws will be updated. There'll be furious denunciation, anger and all the rest of it. But you are going to win. I think it's so important to know that because I know how miserable and difficult things currently are. But I want to say to anti-trans activists, I want to end by talking to you. I'm not talking to those who are confused or have concerns or all the rest of it. I'm talking for those, to those for whom this has become an obsession. The lives and existence of a tiny minority has taken over your lives. I can see it from your Twitter feeds. It's the only thing you talk about. If, if an asteroid was about to hit Earth, a lot of you would just be frothing about trans people. Now, you're going to lose. Comprehensively, you're going to lose. And actually, a lot of your anger and fury and bile 
is driven by the fact you know you're going to lose. I know a lot of you are like millenarians, because you, like, you are essentially a cult, who, who believe that what you call trans ideology will one day come crashing down like a pack of cards and that you'll get some final vindication and absolution. But I'm going to tell you now, it's never going to come. And do you know why? Because however much you howl and froth and spread your bile and your hatred, you are never ever going to be able to wish trans people away. Trans people are always going to exist. And as public attitudes shift, there will be more trans people now, just as there were more people coming out as gay and bi than there were before. You are going to have to live to watch country after country introducing laws, reforming the process to make the lives of trans people easier. Germany and Spain are just the latest examples of countries which have done that. And the final humiliation you are going to suffer is watching trans people who you monster and whose lives you make harder thrive and live ever happier lives. And other than those who have allowed your humanity to rot away, for whom there is no hope, for many of you, as your years advance, as you grow older, you will come to realise, or it will nag at you, at your souls, that all you did, all you achieved, was to make the lives of a minority who already suffer so much pain and hurt and anguish and fear that little bit harder. That's your only contribution on this planet. We all have a choice, don't we? We all have a choice in terms of how we live, the very short window of life that we have on this planet. And for some of you, you have chosen to use that short time you have on this earth to make the lives of a vulnerable minority harder. And you will realize that actually, you're not gonna win this. That actually the tide of history is moving against you. Trans people will be accepted. The laws will be reformed in ways that you fundamentally oppose. And the consequences, the fear mongering, about what the consequences of those laws will be, will be disproven just as those who spread fear about introducing or repealing anti-gay laws. They were. They didn't get vindication. They were proven to be wrong. You will be damned by the history books for what you've done. And that, I'm afraid, is the only contribution that you have made. Please like, subscribe. I'll see you next time. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.